Hey there, everyone, and welcome once again to the Magic Table. We're excited you're joining us. Uh, today we are talking about uh, a topic very near and dear to our hearts. I think I say that about 700 times in this episode, but it is just something like trauma-informed parenting is um, part of us that, that we've been doing for a long time. We've started training other people to um, parent in these ways, and I feel like it's just such a there's a lot that people don't understand about what trauma-informed parenting even is out there. It's like a word that gets thrown around and um, we don't always know what we're talking about when we when we say those things or what trauma even is. And so this is just sort of a, a background to last week's episode with Lisa uh, Qualls and just sort of talking about our journey with uh, becoming trauma informed, what that looks like in our lives and just, uh, a lot of great resources. There are a ton of resources in the show notes. I just encourage you to check those out. It's awesome. Uh, this was a fun episode for us because it's something that, uh, we live and we breathe and, uh, I hope that comes across in this episode. I hope you, uh, enjoy hearing about it. Uh, you can make sure you're following us at theology of hustle on Instagram and Facebook, and you can follow me at Curry Blanford on Twitter just to stay up to date with what's going on with the magic table and a theology of hustle. Um, and yeah, I hope you enjoy some time with the trauma talking about trauma informed parenting. If you have questions, if you have thoughts, if you just want to reach out, we would love to talk to you about this stuff. It is, uh, yeah, it's something we, we do a lot of. So, uh, talk to us about it. We'd love to you know, keep the conversation going. So enjoy a little time around the magic table. Uh, all right. Well, welcome back to the magic table, everyone. Uh, JJ, it's always good to have you in the studio, you know, this is thanks. <laughs> um, okay. So we wanted to talk about trauma informed parenting, uh, just because it's something that's very like near and dear to our hearts. Right. Right. And it's a topic that we've been thinking about covering since we started doing the magic table. Um, and after Lisa's episode last week, and now that we are living in the midst of a global pandemic, we thought this might actually appeal to more than just adoptive families. So here we are. Yeah. I love it. I'm excited to talk about it because it's something, I mean, we literally teach a class monthly uh, with replanted ministry when you know, normal things not are a happening. pandemic. Yeah, right. But uh, I mean, it's just been something near and dear to our hearts for um, a long time, even before adoption. Um, we were sort of uh, headed down this road. Uh, I think, first of all, what I want to talk about just to kind of kick it off is like trauma informed is such a buzzword, I think, in our world. Like, yes, just kind of people throw it out there. And I don't know that like we always know what it means. So can you talk a little bit just about what like trauma informed means? I think when we think trauma, we think of mostly abuse and neglect. And while those things are clearly trauma, there can also be really small or smaller traumas that kids endure or even things like um, if you have a child who's medically fragile in their early years, that they could experience medical trauma. Children can experience trauma in utero. And then there are there are big T traumas and little T traumas. And I think, um, at least in the work that I do, a lot of times I will name for people their experience. I will name trauma within it. 
And people really want to downplay that because we like to compare trauma in a weird way of like, Mm, what happened to me isn't as significant as this story I heard or my friend's experience. So I can't be shaped by this thing that feels less significant to me. And I think it's because we have such a narrow view of what trauma is. And so, I mean, trauma could even be losing a beloved caregiver who's not a parent or, you know, experiencing a divorce as a child is a trauma. And there's a myriad of things that could be trauma, but I think so often we think it's these huge, life-altering, horrible things. And yes, those are traumas, but there can also be smaller things or different things. You know, natural disasters are trauma for kids, but sometimes hearing about a natural disaster can be traumatic for a child, even if it's not something they experienced. And so I think... As we're living through this pandemic as parents, we have to be mindful about how we're talking about this to our kids and realizing that, like, even though maybe our family isn't impacted specifically, that we may have super sensitive kiddos that are taking on, like, worry or grief or anxiety based on what they're hearing, overhearing from adult conversations, or if you happen to have the news on, like, our kids are always picking up things that and we may not be aware of and so i think it's a really important time to be attuned to our kiddos and their social or their emotional mental health yeah totally uh i mean that was sort of a paradigm shift for me i think um i thought before we like really delve into it maybe we could talk a little bit just about like qualifications sort of because this isn't just like we're just like throwing out trauma like this is something that like you do professionally in some ways and then the, uh, yeah. So can you? Yes. So I guess yeah. when we talk trauma informed, we use TBRI principles and that's kind of the, the, um, the tools that we use to right. address trauma. And so I often say, you know, like I'm very comfortable in that, even as a clinician, there are definitely other areas of trauma that I'm not comfortable in because I don't have a lot of training or experience or knowledge. And so I guess we'll be talking more about TBRI and I think our, oh, which is trust-based relational interventions. And I think that is, it's evidence-based for children um, from hard places, adoption and foster care. We always say when we teach our class, their parenting principles, they've just been evidence-based for um, adoption and foster care. So yes, while I started with kind of a broader overview of trauma, our what we're knowledgeable about is trauma within the adoption and foster care world. Right. Well, in addition to your practice, we're uh, empowered to connect parent trainers. So we take parents through a nine week intensive intensive course on, uh, on parenting kids uh, from hard places, kids with, with trauma history, specifically in the adoption and foster care world. World. But this could apply to all sorts of stuff. I mean, trauma can be, all sorts of things. Yes. And so I think that goes back to this idea like TBRI principles. It's really connected parenting. And I think no matter what your child's experience, whether that's big T trauma, little t trauma, potentially zero trauma to this point, there is so much knowledge to be gained from these principles. Yeah. So maybe we should talk about maybe our journey with like 
understanding all this sure. stuff. Sure. Yeah. So we went to our first like adoption. It wasn't even a conference. It was just like a day long workshop. And we had probably just, we were a couple months into our um, adoption journey. Or Yeah. Like actually adopting. I mean, we've been on an adoption journey since you were like 15. Right. Yes. <laughs> we were like three months into paperwork right, when we right. went to this event. And our friend Jen was just talking about, she was doing a, a session on trauma and what that could look like and behaviors that were related. And she started talking about all the different kinds of trauma. And she included medical trauma. And just some of the behaviors that could come with um, trauma. And we made eye contact and I just started sobbing because we realized, um, and also if you're listening to the podcast, you probably don't know this about us, but both of our biological kiddos had a genetic disorder that their bodies didn't produce enough growth hormone which regulates blood sugar in tiny humans. It was a whole weird... Endocrinology is like a whole thing. It's (laughs) a crazy thing that we learned a lot about. But because of this disorder that the kiddos had, they had to get daily injections um, from us. And so part of medical trauma is for kids is the people who are supposed to care for them are inflicting pain. And even though for our kids that was something that was like part of them like living and growing as humans, as you know, Blythe started when she was like 18 months, I think, doing that. You know, at 18 months, she doesn't understand like mommy and daddy are hurting me, but it's to keep me alive. <laughs> you know, all, right, right. all her body knows is the people who provide me care are inflicting pain. And we were just starting to see, I mean, when we started this, Bennett was four and Blythe, no, Blythe was four and Bennett was two. We were just seeing some behaviors that as it was kind of outlined for us, we realized were due to trauma. And it was really eye-opening and it was really heartbreaking um, because I had never considered um, providing, you know, life-giving medical care to our children could be interpreted by their little bodies as trauma. And once I heard it, it made total sense. Right. But it it was devastating, I think, as a parent and really was a paradigm shift for us. And that really started us. We felt really strongly. Um, of course, at that time, we didn't know it would be three years till Britain came home. <laughs> yeah. um, but we felt really strongly that we didn't want to be like parenting in a way And then we would bring home a baby and be like, well, now we've adopted. And so we're changing the whole way. And so for us, when our kids were four and two, we started on this journey of trauma-informed parenting because we just wanted – we knew adding a baby to the mix was going to be complicated. And we wouldn't know that scenario. And we thought if we can already kind of be parenting in this capacity, it it will feel more seamless – which honestly, I think that it I totally, did. I totally think so too. And it made us better parents for our bio kids yeah. in ways that we just, yeah, we didn't know yeah. before. Well, to speak to like some of that too, I mean, even in that when Jen was talking, I mean, 
and we've heard it a thousand times now after the fact, but even like a difficult birth can be a trauma, which is like, I think mind boggling to people. Like they don't understand how like the body, like even though the, the brain, like the child's brain can't remember what's happening, uh, that the body knows and that like, they're still inputting signals like our, our, you know, like kids who are adopted from birth parents are like, Oh, I got them from birth. It can't be a, any sort of an issue. Uh, not realizing that like they're, they still like heard, they were still comforted by their mother in the womb. Like that's all they knew for the entirety of the life that they had. And so when that's broken, when that relationship is broken early on, it's still traumatic, even though they may not like be cognizant of that. For sure. I think this would be a perfect place to step in and say there are so many people who have much more education, experience, and knowledge than us. And so if you're listening and thinking this is voodoo magic, I would encourage you to read <laughs> um, The Body Keeps a Score by Bessel van der Kolk. Yeah. Van der Kolk. We'll put it in the show yeah, notes. Right. Um, I recommend I just it call to- him Bessel. You yeah, because y'all are buddies yeah, like that. Yeah. But he, his work, I recommend it to clients all the time. And if even if you're listening and thinking that you might have some trauma in your background, it's a life-changing book. And I'm not overhyping it because I use it in practice and that's what my clients tell me. But it just talks about this connection to trauma and how your body stores that and how it presents. And so... Yeah, we're talking from our super limited, narrow experience, and we would love to give you all the resources of all the books that you could read to learn more about all this. Right. Yeah, because it is it's very it's not apparent like it's not something you can just like figure out by observation. It's not like part of our, our normal like, oh, yeah, that person has trauma because A, B and C. And that makes sense because their body's reacting like people with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, like shaking all the time. Like that doesn't make sense. Like there's no reasonable way that an outsider could perceive that that makes sense. Right. Because it's so complicated, this body brain connection. And yeah, it's like. So it, it feels like voodoo to a lot of people. It feels like, oh, you're just making excuses for these kids. Oh, you're just being way too easy on them. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're just letting them off. Um, when in reality, by not addressing those traumas, you're uh, widening the gap of like the, those relational issues that were there f because of the trauma, right? Right. Yeah. And that's, I mean, this whole, the whole TBRI thing, uh, which we're not representing officially here, but you know, the TBRI method is all about uh, connected parenting. It's all about um, connecting even before uh, correcting or like everything just revolves around connection, right? Yes. We always joke. So when we teach our class, there are 25 principles that are part of our curriculum. And the first 24 are connecting principles and our 25th principle is correction. And so what we have found in just this, in working towards connected parenting, we are connected to our kids in a way that is beautiful. We enjoy being with them. Our children are delightful. And I think a huge part of that is because we've done the work to really 
create connection to our kids. Right. Yeah, it's a lot of work. It's a lot Can of I work. Can I talk about the uh, attachment cycle? <laughs> I'm so excited. Yes, yeah. you can. I love the attachment cycle because of its simplicity. And like, it was the thing that sort of made the whole thing make sense to me, I think. Um, I've actually preached on it a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think it's so, it, yeah. So the attachment cycle basically is uh, a child expresses a need and that need is met by the parent. Right. And so, I mean, it's a pretty simple cycle that happens. But if you think about it, like as soon as a baby comes out of the womb, what what does it do? Cries. 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 And crying is an expression of need. It's saying, I need something. I'm cold. I'm hungry. I'm ABC. And that crying doesn't stop for a long time. Right. <laughs> but um, but as, as a new parent, we instinctually take that baby and we meet that need. Right. I remember when Blythe was tiny, you know, our first baby and we're like trying to sort of comfort her. I mean, new parents, like you literally do every, like you're checking stuff off the list. Is she cold? Is she hungry? Is she tired? Is she wet? You know what I mean? You're like checking things off down the list. And, um, what you do as a parent is, is a consistent child expresses a need through crying when they're young and you meet that need. And that happens over and over and over thousands of times a day. And when trauma enters the equation, that attachment cycle is broken. So that that child no longer has a belief that that need is going to be met when they express that need. And that causes a relational division that, that causes disconnection between a, a child and their caregiver and, and, Tra- yeah, trauma causes that relational rift, so to speak. Yep. Um, and so I just think it's such a vivid, I mean, we've, we've all seen parents, we've all been around parents, we've all maybe, you know, a lot of us have had children in our care and that, that like, you don't realize what you're doing when you're like talking to the baby and when you're like cuddling the baby is meeting a need, but you are over and over. You're like, when you have a young child, your life is devoted to meeting needs for that child. Yeah. Yeah. So attachment cycle. So that's how attachments formed. Attachments formed through the meeting of, of needs. Yeah. And so when that cycle gets broken, we have, we have trauma and and we have trouble with attachment. Like attachment theory is this whole other thing we can't possibly get into right now. Um, we could put some actual, uh, great resources, uh, in the show notes for that too. But, uh, once that attachment's broken, like what, you know, what happens? I mean, it's broken, so you have to work to fix it. And I think that is one of the hardest pieces about adoption um, is you are always working on this attachment, but it's so hard to know where you're at. I remember with um, Britain, we were at the doctor for some checkup, and – I was expressing a concern about something that was like very trivial, but I was so hyper-focused on attachment that sometimes I would get lost (laughs) Um, just in that. And I remember our doctor being like, oh, he looks happy. I'm sure he's fine. And she she meant that in such kindness and to be reassuring to me. And I wanted to say like, you can't look at him and see if he's attached. Um, and so I think so often 
I think stereotypically adoptive mothers um, can really struggle with this idea of attachment just because you have longed for this child for such a long time. And then to think like, am I going to screw it up? Am I going to cause something? Am I going to cause harm by, you know, not doing this attachment thing right? And so, you know, I think so many of us, like for us, no one fed Britain is for six months. Yeah. Besides Curry or I. Right. And it's just kind of that. It's re it's affirming to him that like we are the caretakers. We are the ones who are meeting your needs. Um, you know, we I've worked with families who have adopted older kids and like they are still the only ones who provide food to their children. And, you know, even if they're somewhere else they don't let another adult serve their child, which I think if you are not familiar with adoption, seems right. like controlling seems super and, weird, right? and super yeah. overbearing, yeah. but you're just trying to affirm to this kiddo who has joined your family, like, I am safe, you are safe here, and I will meet your need. And I think even so often, you know, we <laughs> we parent really differently, even at this point with Britain than like when our other kids were three, we just have more knowledge. And so we've realized like part of it is you had three kids and you realize some of the stuff you got been out of shape about (laughs) didn't matter. But I think we have, well, we hope that there's so much more nurture in our parenting. So much of TBRI is creating a balance of nurture and structure and, um, feel like a lot of traditional parenting can really um, be heavy on structure. Um, And then I think we also see a lot of people who are just nurture and want to be the buddy and structure is hard and I want my kid to like me. And I think there are downfalls to both. I think finding that perfect balance between nurture and structure is like challenging. Yeah. but I think that's the goal that we're always striving for. And so, um, yeah, I think that's really, yeah, that's the goal yeah. of TBRI is being connected parents who can balance and nurture and structure. Yeah. Can I caveat again? Mm-hmm. I feel like, um, and I think it's something that we've talked about before. I think if you are listening and are parenting a kiddo from a hard place, one of the most important pieces of being a connected parent is dealing with your own stuff. Oh, I was lit. That's literally where I was going to. Oh, yeah, look at we're us. so yeah. smart. It's yeah. like we've done this before, had this conversation. <laughs> um, yeah, if you have not addressed some of your own things from childhood, some of your own family dynamics that might not have been healthy, you are going to bring those to, as I think Dr. Purvis calls it, the parenting dance. Yeah. And maybe have unrealistic expectations for your kiddo. And so it is a disservice to them if you refuse to take responsibility as the adult to get healthy yourself. And so I think before you consider connected parenting, you've got to be a healthy grown up. Yeah. The one of the greatest lines ever is you can't take someone somewhere you've never been. And if you have relational trauma in your history that is undealt with, you can never take that child into 
a whole a whole place. It's just it's not possible. You like as much as you love that child and want the best for them and and want to work and do all the right things if you don't have your stuff right it's it's never going to work and like for me uh, when we were going through our, our training for the empowered to connect, uh, parent trainer program, uh, it was intensive. We did like weeks and weeks and weeks of, I mean, we just read and like had a three days of like nonstop and did homework yeah. to make sure you actually read <laughs> yeah. the 12 books right. assigned. It was, it was intense. And uh, one of those books was called the anatomy of the soul by Kurt Thompson. And that book, I, I hesitate to say changed my life, but it changed a lot of paradigms in my life. I would say it changed your life. <laughs> it opened up conversations uh, that I'd never really opened up for myself. I, I never really wanted to go to some of those places, just like thinking back to my past. And I don't have like a super crazy trauma history or anything, but I think we all have things in our past where there are like these relational, you know, these relational issues or these, these, these struggles, you know, and, um, that can look different for a lot of people. But, uh, the, the biggest learning in my journey is how I react to my kids. Like they know how to push my buttons and as uh, children, do. as children do, they, they, that's the first thing that they learn (laughs) (laughs) after they will feed me. It's how to push buttons. And, um, those buttons are because, of, of my own stuff and my decision, uh, my choice in how to react to those things, like whether it's screaming or it's like being present, you know, uh, is affected by h- how much work I've done myself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and so I think in the work that I've done as a clinician and the work that we've done through adoption ministry, we have just seen time and time again, when parents choose to get healthy, you see, you often see growth in kids because they're just approaching it from a different way. Yeah. Right. For sure. No, uh, that stuff, that's, that's the most important part of our class. We spend two weeks on that when we talk about. Definitely people's favorite two weeks. (laughs) We like have two weeks that we like kind of like get to know people and start with some of the basics. And then we're like, Hey, it's week three. We're going to delve into you and your trauma history and what you're bringing to this. And then we're like, and guess what? We're doing it again next time. Yeah. Um, and and the people who choose to like really engage with that work come, you know, based on the discussion when they come back to class because it just shifts paradigms for yeah. people. And it's probably the most beautiful part in my opinion, of what we get to do is help parents get healthy so that they can be better parents for their kiddos. Because so little of parenting is about the kids. Right. Like, uh, and this, this is so much bigger than a trauma, uh, adoption, foster care conversation. We keep getting on like unintentionally our soapbox about this. Yeah. But it, it it is, you, we walk through a lot of difficult situations with a lot of families and our roles in ministry and in the adoption and foster care work we do. And it is incredible how many people are unwilling to do the hard look inside, right? Mm -hmm. Like to Mm -hmm. really like delve into their own stuff. And if you're unwilling to do that, if, if anyone is unwilling to do that, 
um, there will never be healing uh, for for your children. You can't you can't connect to your children if mm-hmm. if you're not capable of connecting, mm-hmm. you know. And so mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's a really important thing. It's a really important part of this whole conversation. Yes, and, whether you have yeah. adopted children or not, right? Yeah, do your own work. You have to. You totally have to. So that's free. That you know. That's you know. <laughs> That's outside of this whole trauma thing. That's that's free advice right there. But um, don't be afraid of that stuff. I know it's scary. And I, I personally literally know that that is scary. And, um, but worth it. Wow. Yeah. So we ended up in a whole just go see a therapist sort of thing. Right. Know. I feel like that's most of our episodes. <laughs> you should go see a therapist. There's a lot of people doing telehealth right now. I'm seeing a spiritual director via, um, you know, via zoom and it's, uh, it's wonderful. Uh, it's yeah, it's really good. So, um, so what, what does it mean? Like, like from a practical perspective, you know, what does it mean to like to parent in a trauma informed way to you? Um, okay. I don't want to steal yours because I think that I'm going to, (laughs) um, but for us, the biggest, um, not even biggest challenge. Like, I think the thing that makes us weirdy parents to most people, especially people who don't know us well, is, um, we don't do time outs. Right. We do time ends. Um, And so the idea is when you, and this is not a shame thing. We did timeouts a long time until we we learned a different way that felt better to us. Right. We're not saying we have the best way or the only way. This is just our way. Right. Um, So just what changed our minds, we were at the same talk um, and our friend Jen was talking about, you know, when we send children away, what we're saying is go away regulate. And when you're whole, you can come back and join the family. Um, and then, you know, we, we do this over and over and over again for children. And then we get moody teenagers who are recluses in their room. And what we don't always realize as parents is that that's the behavior that we taught them. We don't deal with things as a family you need to go away to your space. You need to figure things out. And then when you're ready, you can come back and join the family. And, you know, our little kids share everything and overshare. <laughs> um, and so we really want to create an environment now that they will come to us and that we regulate together. Hopefully, you know, in the development. What do you mean by regulation? Can you just talk about that real quick? Sure. Well, in general... Yeah, I just mean you're saying regulate together, but I don't know that like even that sort of that feels like a uh, jargon to me. A little okay, bit. you know what I'm saying? Yes. So the idea is like oftentimes when kids are put sent to their room or to a timeout, it's because they're angry, they're screaming, right. they're so in our world we call that dysregulated, right, or and flipped lid. Yes, they <laughs> flip their lid. And so we want them to learn to self-soothe and then come back to us soothed. Is this what you're mm-hmm. asking about? Yeah. And so, you know, even if you're looking at like traditional development, like, you know, we're the regulator, co-regulator, and then children should at some point be able to regulate by themselves. 
this is different than that. (laughs) Um, So the funny thing, why we joke about this principle a lot is, so a time in, we thought when we started doing this was just, instead of sending the kid away, you just like in our house, they sat on the stairs. So they were still a part of the family. We could see them, but they were still calming by themselves. So we're at our parent trainer training and we're, they were talking about like, you know, you sit with your child and you help regulate. And when they're calm and we're like, oh, no, oh, so we've been doing those wrong for three years. <laughs> Whoops. Um, and so I think part of the reason we love that principle is it was one of the first that we got to see like, oh, we thought we were doing this parenting right. thing pretty well. And we weren't. And being able instead of being like, oh, well, let's throw that one out the window to be a bit humble, I hope, and say like, oh, we need to kind of realign how we're doing this. Right. And so typically it's our youngest at this point who needs those times. And so when he is dysregulated, kicking, screaming, yelling, being a three-year-old who can't get his way, we scoop him up and we hold him sometimes standing, but oftentimes on the stairs and and we help him, buddy, I'm here when you're ready. What do you need? Can you use your words? I want to help you. And just reaffirm to him, like, I am safe when you're ready. I'm here. I'm here while you're angry. I'm here while you're screaming and I'll be here when you're ready to have a conversation. And it's incredible. I think especially because we didn't necessarily do this with our older two that he'll get to a point that it's not prompted by us anymore because we've done this so often and he'll say, I'm ready to say sorry. Right. Or he'll come and you'll say like, hey, buddy, are you ready to apologize to your brother? And he'll say, nope, I need to sit here. (laughs) And like, it's funny because he's not here. But I mean, it's funny in those moments, but he knows like, I'm not ready yet. Right. And I'll sit with you. And then when I do really feel calm and settled, I can go find the sibling or the parent that I have wronged and I can ask for forgiveness. And it's in, it's my it's my favorite. Right. Be, because it also, I think why it's my favorite is it gives and what they don't always talk about and we or we talk about when we teach our class is it also gives me time as a parent to calm down with him. Because oftentimes I may have escalated as I stepped into an argument or a physical altercation that's happening between my children. And I shouldn't probably be speaking to anyone either. And so to be able to step away with one of our children and we say we're calming our kids, but so often we're calming ourselves Mm. too. It's good. And it's this place of like, okay, we're going to get, we're going to like, calm down so that we're not saying things out of anger or spite and then you know we'll go make amends and i think that has been really transformative for our family yeah i'll tag off of that actually for mine okay. uh, because i speak a lot of times in this adoption and foster care world i'm around because like i can speak to the dads like these things are normally run by mostly women mostly yes. moms right and so there's 
uh, not as many male voices in this world as there should be. There's some great male voices, but it's, it's usually not the bulk of what's going on. And so one of the big beefs that a lot of dudes have with TBRI principles is like, Oh, you're letting them off. It's, it's like, you know, <laughs> these kids are just getting by with too much. Back in my day, we used to discipline children, you know, like, Oh my gosh, it's like, shut up. But, uh, <laughs> but, but one of the things about TBRI is you never let a behavior go, right? Like you, you were all, you always make sure and go and like redo whatever was done. Right. Like, uh, I, and I find that in parenting in general, one of the worst things you can do for your kids is do the whole, like never not follow through on the stuff that you say you're going to do. You're like, I'm going to spank you, boy. I'm going to give you the count of three, one, two, two and a half, two and three quarters. And then it just sort of like disappears. Literally the worst thing you can do to your child is let them believe that you're not going to do what you say you're going to do. Right. And one of the main TBRI principles is that you never let those things go. It's that you connect first before you do those redos, right? The, the, the punishment is not done out of anger, which thank God, I, I literally think that has saved me on several occasions from doing things I would regret. It's never done out of anger. It's, it's, it's done once the child is regulated and can truly learn from that experience and then goes and redoes whatever they're supposed to do or apologizes or, you know, whatever the, whatever the, the, the correct behavior is, you practice doing those things, but you never let, um, your child skate by without talking about those things. Cause it's so easy as a parent to like, that's ah, not that big a deal. You know what I mean? Like next time, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that next time or like just push it off. And that's, that is not safe for your child. They need to know that you are who you say you are and you do what you say you're going to do. Right. Yeah. It's that. Well, and I think that's that structure piece. Yeah, totally is. And so, but even could you talk about like what a redo looks like? Yeah. So, I mean, like, let's take, for instance, sorry, little, little man. But when when he uh, when he does something he's not supposed to, uh, once he's calmed back down and can actually learn from that experience, he, he doesn't have the flip lid. Right. He's all there. And and we go back and we do what we should have done in the first place. Like a lot of, like he's in that independent phase. Right. And a lot of times he gets uh, dysregulated because he didn't get to do what he's, what he wanted to do, but he never asked with good words. Right. He never, he never used his voice to ask. He just lost his mind because he didn't get to do what he wanted to do. So uh, we'll go back and do that thing after he has used good words to ask nicely to do whatever it is. And then he gets to do it. Yeah. Right? And I think even it doesn't even always have to be even asking nicely. It's just like, let's try it again with respect right, or right. let's like, oh, that probably wasn't the best way to do that. Why don't we try it again? And the to me, why I love the redo is then you get to praise your child right. for doing things the right way. And it's that connection piece again, like, oh, that was such a nice way to, you know, put your plate in the sink, you know, yeah, or catch them doing the right things. Right. Right. And yeah. And so redos are just such a beautiful way. And sometimes like 
you don't ask for a redo and the kid's like, oh my gosh, thanks so much, mom. Let me try that again. But, you know, it's like, oh, that still wasn't it. Like, could we try again? A big thing about TBRI is like kind of this playful engagement piece. And so it's, it's not like, oh, you didn't do that right. But it's like, buddy, that's not how we do it. Can you show me one more time what you were trying to do? And that kind of playful piece that disarms fear, um, I think is important. But then it is this beautiful opportunity to be like, that's exactly right. Or I knew you could do it. Thanks for, you know, using your voice. And right. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, and a big reason we did this is because last week's episode with Lisa, she has a book coming out in July called The Connected Parent, which is a lot of what we're talking about, but with somebody who's done it a lot, a lot longer, longer with a lot more kids. <laughs> right. So I think you should link it again in show yeah. notes. But right. I also think if you're wondering, like, what is a flipped lid? There's a book by Dan Siegel mm-hmm. called The Whole Brain Child. Um, and it really talks about if you're a sciencey person, um, not I'm not really, but I even really liked it. <laughs> his book but it really talks about like the brain and kind of what your kid is thinking and it's a great kind of companion to all of this so yeah. i feel like a resource heavy episode potentially yeah. but oh, that's okay yeah but I also i think if you're interested in it yeah. you're gonna want all the resources well, if you are at a church that is interested in helping families with this our good friend uh jen hook has a book called replanted yeah, uh, you could also support a replanted group right, at your church. Right. But I I also think like we should put the website for empowered to connect parent trainers sure. because if you know someone who's an adoptive parent who's struggling, the classes are great and we don't just say that because we teach it. Right. We we teach it for free year after year to families because we believe that it transforms families. Right. Totally. Um, And it's a gift. Yeah. We'll put all that under there. These have been transformative things for us. And so we hope they are for you too. Normally I like to say that we like covered everything we could have, you know, that we like really nailed an episode. And I think, um, we scratched the surface (laughs) if that, but there's just, yeah, there's a lot out there and a lot of really good stuff. And so, yeah, we hope you enjoyed a little time talking trauma informed parenting at the magic table. Well, we are certainly glad you got to join us to talk a little trauma-informed parenting around the magic table. Again, those resources at the bottom uh, in your show notes, super important. Go check those out. You can also swipe to the bottom of your uh, app, your iTunes app, and you can leave a rating and review there. That just helps get the word out about what's going on here, uh, what we're talking about. Uh, We greatly appreciate that. It goes a long way, and it means a lot to us. So we'd appreciate you doing all that, and uh, we can't wait to see you next time at the magic table.